0: is Battlegrounds.
1: On today's episode of Battlegrounds, our focus is on Southeastern Europe and the country of Croatia. We welcome former President of Croatia, Kolinda Grébar-Katarovic. President Grébar-Katarovic was both the first woman elected to this position since Croatia's independence in 1991 as well as the youngest person to ever hold the presidency. She previously served as ambassador to the United States and NATO assistant secretary general for public diplomacy. As a student, she received a Fulbright scholarship to carry out pre-doctoral research in international relations and security policy at George Washington University and was later a fellow at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government. President Grébar Kitarović is a recipient of the George Washington University's President's Medal for Scientific, Social and Political Work. Croatia was part of the Astro-Hungarian Empire until it was dissolved after World War I. After two months of independence, Croatia joined the Slovenes and Serbs in creating a new coalition state. About a decade later, the kingdom was renamed Yugoslavia and the Unitarian government was further centralized under a royal dictatorship. Debates about the extent of Croatian autonomy were fraught and lasted several decades. In 1941, Nazi Germany invaded Croatia and installed Anti Pavelic as the country's fascist leader. Under Pavelic's regime, hundreds of thousands of Croat Jews, Orthodox Serbs, Bosnian Muslims, and Roma were murdered. After the Allies defeated the Axis powers in the Second World War, Croatia became a socialist republic within the Yugoslav Federation under the leadership of Josip Broz Tito. Political violence continued while Tito served as head of the federal Yugoslav government from 1945 to 1953 and later president from 1953 to 1980. An estimated 200,000 Croats were killed in political violence between 1945 and 1963. Despite the Tito government's violent repression, the overall Croatian government was seen by many as a mild and relatively successful form of socialism. The Croatian socialist model decentralized more political power than other socialist systems, permitted some market forces to operate, and was a less harsh alternative to Joseph Stalin's Soviet model. Despite that low standard, the Croatian model appealed to some political parties in both East and West. In 1990, the one-party political monopoly in Croatia ended. The country ratified its current constitution, and Croatia held its first multi-party elections in four decades. Although Croatia gained independence from Yugoslavia in 1991 following a successful national referendum and an official declaration from the Croatian parliament, its war of independence lasted until 1995. The neighboring Serbian states supported the minority Serb population in Croatia with two primary goals, to undermine Croatia's independence and to create an autonomous Serbian region that would ultimately secede from Croatia and join Serbia. The war ended with a Croatian victory, but at a high price. Over 20,000 people were killed in the war, and over 500,000 had to flee their homes. Approximately 25% of Croatia's economy was ruined. Much of the country's infrastructure was destroyed or damaged. After the war, Serbian and Croatian cooperation has grown, but tensions remain. The international community recognized Croatia as an independent state in 1992. Croatia joined the World Trade Organization in 2000, NATO in 2009, and the European Union in 2013. Under grabar Kitarović's presidency from 2015 to 2020, Croatia faced a surge of immigration, exacerbated by closed Slovenian and Hungarian borders. Also, Grébar-Kitarović witnessed the country's soccer team's surprising defeats of Russia and England to advance to the finals against France in the 2018 World Cup. In 2020, Croatian President Zoran Milanović won the presidential election with a 5% margin of the popular vote. We welcome President Grébar-Kitarović today as Croatia continues to pursue improved security and prosperity for its people and southeastern Europe despite the pandemic and recent earthquakes. She provides an important perspective on the transatlantic relationship, the vision of a Europe free and whole, energy security, and how to foster social unity and strengthen confidence in democratic governance.
0: President Robert Kudorovic, welcome to Battlegrounds. Hey, let me begin by saying what an honor it was to work with you years ago when you were chairing the Three Cs Conference and the work that we did on security and energy security in particular. It's really great to see you again.
2: Uh, Thank you, General. Thank you, dear HR. It's uh, really great to see you again. Thank you for the invitation. Um, I'm uh, really very happy to be here with you today to discuss the issues of mutual importance, both for Croatia, the U.S., and of course, the transatlantic relationship.
0: Well, well, thanks so much. You know, Croatia is is a big destination, you know, for Americans. And in fact, our our daughter did a part of her honeymoon in Croatia as well and absolutely loves it. And and you know it's it's really a great success story. You know this is this year marks the 30th anniversary. Hard to believe of of, of Croatia's uh, independence and 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 the war and and Croatia's made remarkable progress since then, including becoming a member of NATO and the European Union, uh, as well as an exporter of security participation in multiple peacekeeping missions around the world, including in, in Afghanistan. Uh, and so I just wondered if you might describe for our viewers. You know, what, what lessons do, does Croatia's experience offer for other war-torn countries or divided societies more broadly?
2: Yes, indeed. It's hard to believe it's been 30 years. Uh, My youth and um, sort of um, my most important formative experiences were marked by the dissolution of the former Yugoslavia and the war for independence, or rather fighting aggression here in Croatia. And then the uh, 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 post-war years that were very important And uh, that were lessons learned, not just for Croatia, but I would say for uh, many, not just war-torn countries, but really societies that experience divisions and and rifts. Uh, We've seen the recent events in the United States, especially on the 6th of January, and I was actually... Pretty disturbed to hear comparisons between the dissolution of the former Yugoslavia and the situation uh, in the United States. Uh, I don't think it's a fitting example. Yes, there were rifts across society, but there is a huge and basic difference. When we were fighting for independence, it was within a system that was autocratic, that was undemocratic. Uh, that uh, uh, did not recognize the rights neither of the nations that it purported to uh, represent the brotherhood and the unity that was celebrated within the context of the former Yugoslavia. Uh, It was a society that did not take uh, into account uh, individual opinion uh, where there was no freedom of speech, where there were no democratic institutions. So what the United States uh, is facing right now is what um, the newly elected president uh, and so many of you have said so fittingly, to create a more perfect union, to continue building on the foundations of democracy and democratic system that you have. Um, And um, I do not really aspire to give lectures to anyone about democratic institutions, democracy, and reconciliation, but I have to admit very frankly, very honestly, HR, what I've said on so many occasions. Uh, When I was a young girl sitting in bomb cellars and um, fearing not just for my own life, but for the life of everybody else and fearing that somebody would just throw a a grenade down uh, that bomb cellar. I was thinking that there was no way that uh, we and our Serbian neighbors would live uh, with each other and by each other for decades and decades to come. Fortunately, I was proved to be wrong and we did have our difficulties. We did have so many hurdles that we had to overcome. But once we realized that the international community was a partner to us in that process, Once that uh, we learn to recognize the grievances of the other side, no matter how much we thought that the the crimes were committed, which of course have to be sanctioned in order for democracy to function. But um, once we realize that it's in the interest of all to proceed uh, in a democratic manner of inclusion, rather than exclusion for the future. Um, that was really um, the sort of the formula for success. And uh, I, I believe that this is what the United States is uh, facing right now as well, um, being um, um, sort of um, an objective um, uh, person who is uh, monitoring the processes in the United States, but also very emotional about it because of my own experience when I went to the US in 1985, 86 as an exchange student. And when I learned first about the postulates of democracy and individual rights and freedoms, but also individual obligations, uh, for me and for all of us, the United States being the beacon of democracy and an and example to all of us, uh, it really matters what happens in the US and the way that you go. And the way forward certainly is uh, listening, the so-called uh, reflective listening, listening to hear what the other side is saying. Those who believe that have been disenfranchised uh, in the recent election and what followed after that. Uh, equally as those uh, who have uh, stood up for the rights of uh, the oppressed minorities uh, after the murder of George Floyd um, last year. Um, It uh, demonstrates that um, these are not issues that just came up with the last administration. Um, It it wasn't the cause of it. It was unfortunately the symptom and probably uh, the catalyst of the whole process. But I am encouraged by the position of President Biden uh, being very inclusive and very careful to speak about uh, these matters uh, and to uh, continue to include those who feel that they have been hurt uh, in or or their rights have been hurt in any way, uh, rather than excluding them and sort of isolating them to some dark shades, dark corners, either of the United States or the web. Uh, and, you know, the same happens uh, in uh, relations uh, with, um, um, within many countries. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm really going on in
0: the introduction I mean, I that,
2: to this session. Yeah. But this is something that is very dear to my heart because um, reconciliation is um, both, you know, at the same time, much more difficult and much more simple than you think. It is difficult because you have to overcome your own emotions, your own prejudices sometimes. But it's also simple when you realize that when you talk about it, when you work it it out in a democratic way, you can find a solution and make it a lasting one. Uh, And the same goes, as I said, for relations in uh, many parts of the world, including in our own neighborhood. Um, again, as a person who was affected, whose youth was affected by that war, when I was president, I invited President Vucic to visit Croatia, although I knew it was uh, politically a very difficult move.
1: This is just would...
2: for our viewers,
0: Kalinda, this is the president of Serbia. That's the
2: president of Serbia, yes. And he was remembered for his past in Croatia, but he's an elected president of Serbia and certainly the interlocutor for us because it's up to the Serbian people to choose their president. So I knew it would uh, backlash on the domestic scene that I would lose so-called political points. But for me, the reconciliation, continuing the dialogue between Croatia and Serbia and reassuring the Serbian minority in Croatia Croatia, as well as the Croatian minority in Serbia, that we really uh, take um, their interests uh, as first and foremost, was a lot more important than my own political standing or the position in Croatia. And um, I believe that when it comes to reconciliation, this is what we have to uh, think about, to embrace everyone, to uh, really listen, as I said, uh, and to be able to sacrifice our own positions, if we ultimately realize that we need to include the opinion of those others and address their grievances in a proper manner.
0: Well, Glenda, that's such an important message. Thank you for that. I mean, I think that even in the midst of you know this vitriolic partisanship that we've seen here in the United States, we should remember the great gift that we have, and that gift is that we do have a say in how we're governed, and. And as you awesome. mentioned, and as our founder said, right, our, we can't take it for granted, our Republic from the very beginning required constant nurturing. And, and, uh, and, and I think the example of Croatia, the, the way that, that your region, uh, the, the Western Balkans have, have come out of, of such a devastating period, I think it should be, should be a model for the world that, that we, you can accomplish uh, security and, and improve security and, and build a better future. Uh, If you you work together. Right. And we stress what what we all have common interest in instead of our instead of our divisions. And as you mentioned, importantly, you know, listening uh, to one another. So I I wonder if I might just ask you about the Western Balkans these days and what you see as as the greatest remaining threats to security and and and. you know, is and how is how's is the Western Balkans fitting into the to the concept of of Europe free and whole? And what is your view of some of the tensions that you've seen uh, within the European Union uh, as well? What what should we know about about Croatia's situation, the Western Balkans, and and Europe today?
2: Absolutely, HR. What you said, you know, democracy is a work in progress. it, it never stops. Uh, it's always an unfinished business and it can never be taken for granted uh, in uh, any of our countries. But what Croatia tries to do is really move forward. uh, And uh, not only by the power of our example to borrow um, President Biden's words uh, to lead um, the, the rest of Southeast Europe into the European Union and NATO for those who want to become members of NATO Alliance. Uh, but also to give every practical assistance in terms of um, uh, sharing our experience during the difficult transition process towards the EU and NATO membership that entails many democratic, social, economic, and other reforms with our neighbors to make their paths to the European Union easier and uh, to help them avoid perhaps some of the mistakes that we have made in the process. Uh, when it comes to the role of um, the United States, I would say that it's of utmost importance. Um, when you look at the past 30 years um, the United States, whenever you stepped in, we um, made major steps forward in the reconciliation and peace process uh, in the so-called Western Balkans that I prefer to call Southeast Europe because of the connotations of the word Balkans, which for many people mean dissolution, blood, um, war, et cetera. But there remains a lot of unfinished business and precisely Southeast Europe is uh, not only Europe's but the the United States unfinished business when it comes to Europe whole free and at peace. Definitely the whole region needs to be integrated. um, Again, as I said, in the European Union and NATO, which is a little bit more controversial uh, in our neighboring countries because uh, of uh, the role of NATO that it played uh, in the late 1990s and ending the aggression at the time. Um, But um, what I would like to see is more US uh, engagement and uh, a lot more active role. I must say that I've been disappointed by sort of disinterest that I've seen uh, in the past years, not only with the past administration of the former president Trump, but even during President Obama's administration. It was actually then Vice President Biden and now um, your new president who understood the situation in our part of Europe and how crucial it was not only for European security, but for the transatlantic relationship. Uh, And I hope that he will continue to be engaged because um, this uh, is certainly of uh, utmost importance for all of us. For Croatia, it's the security, stability, political independence, sovereignty, and territorial integrity of Bosnia and Herzegovina that is most important for our own security and our obligations as someone uh, who uh, needs to, um, according to our constitution, take special care of the Croatian nation in uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, but also Croatian minority all over the world, of course, as you do take care of your own uh, American citizens but also as a co-signatory of the Dayton Peace Accords uh, and the guarantor of peace of Bosnia and Herzegovina. And as someone who is really honestly um, arguing for the path of that country to become a member state of the European Union as soon as possible. I think that um, including Bosnia and Herzegovina in partnership for peace program was an unnecessary delay that confused the population. I am very much aware of um, the deficiencies of the system there and uh, the fact that they have not fulfilled uh, many of the criteria, but I think it's a special case. It's a special country that is, um, th- th- whose foundations lay not only on the equality of citizens, but also on the equality of nations. It has to be taken into account. And I think that helping the country uh, on the road to the European Union and NATO will be to the interest uh, of all the citizens of Bosnia and Herzegovina, but also of, um, uh, of all of our nations. Uh, what has been achieved in the region, we've seen some countries join NATO, for instance, Montenegro and northern Macedonia. In the meantime, we've seen progress that they've made on made on the road to the European Union membership. But I think that um, the process has been too slow that it's creating a vacuum that is being filled by uh, third forces that are not necessarily benevolent at all times, that are confusing the situation and and using uh, uh, this uh, situation in order to argue, to those people that, you know, whatever you do, you're just not good enough either for EU or NATO. So uh, the people have started to question uh, not only the goal of uh, the membership of your Atlantic institutions, but of the reforms that they have been conducting because they feel that whatever they do is never good enough. And I think that we need to respond in engaging more. And what I see as the tasks for uh, the new Biden administration certainly is the relationship between Serbia and Kosovo, between Belgrade and Pristina, in which Croatia does not want to interfere too much for obvious reasons, but also the process in Bosnia and Herzegovina that needs to be um, evaluated and re evaluated very carefully. And we need to see what works and uh, what doesn't work and how we all can uh, help uh, Bosnia. And it's going to move forward in being truly politically emancipated.
0: Well, Clinda, of course, you know who's going to take advantage of of these kind of doubts and any kind of divisions and try to divide societies within southeastern Europe. uh, But then also to sow divisions between countries uh, in, in southeastern Europe is going to be Vladimir Putin's Kremlin and. And of course, they've been quite aggressive in southeastern Europe, uh, even trying to you know, foment a coup, for example, in, in, uh, in Montenegro. And, uh, and so I, I just ask you, how do you see that thread of, of, of Vladimir Putin's Kremlin and in particular, uh, their, how adept they've become at, at political subversion and especially in using you know, cyber enabled information warfare and trying to polarize really societies and pit portions of societies against each other?
2: Well, it's no secret that uh, Russia perceives enlargement of NATO as a security threat to itself. And um, when I when I worked at NATO, we really tried to try very hard to explain that uh, enlargement of NATO is basically um, the will of the people, of whose alliances they want to choose, and uh, it's about security uh, in the European Union. Uh, in the transatlantic space but also in the wider uh, geographical area Uh, and uh, with respect to Croatia we try to balance that relationship uh, because uh, certainly Russia is very much involved and very much concerned about what happens uh, in uh, southeast Europe Um, Serbia, of course, is trying to balance its relationship with Russia and the European Union, uh, uh, and uh, probably they will have to do a little bit um, better of a job in terms of uh, fulfilling the criteria and moving on towards the European Union, where I believe the place of Serbia is, and it shouldn't be in any way perceived as a threat to Russia. But um, looking very realistically HR, Russia is present here. Uh, Looking at Bosnia and Herzegovina, they're part of the Peace Implementation Council. They're also one of uh, the guarantors of the Dayton Peace Accords. So we need to maintain that dialogue uh, and relationship. Uh, you've mentioned the attempted coup in Montenegro. In the meantime, Montenegro did become a member state of NATO. But for Montenegro, it's an issue of ethnic divisions uh, with respect to uh, pro-NATO or against NATO that we still see today after last year's parliamentary elections. And of course, we're uh, very much interested as, as their immediate uh, neighbor where things will go. But again, um, I I think that finger pointing will not do us much good if we don't get our act together ourselves. And I will repeat what I've said already is that we need to be a lot more vigilant and a lot more adamant in terms of proving the countries in Southeast Europe where they truly belong and what the ultimate, I won't say the prize, but where the ultimate goal, end goal will be, uh, if they fulfill the criteria, which is what people really want around here. And I can testify to that, talking to them uh, and communicating to them on a daily basis.
0: Linda, I think one of the uh, one of the, the areas that that the Kremlin takes advantage of is is what we see are growing tensions these days between national sovereignty uh, and collective action, collective identity within within Europe. What's your view of, of those tensions these days? I I noted that the European Commission announced it would direct over, I think it's about 350 million euros from the cohesion fund to support Croatian businesses and economic recovery after COVID. I think you know I think Croatians are seeing the benefits, right, of membership within the European Union but still these tensions also seem to be growing between sovereignty uh, and, and those benefits of, of membership in the European Union.
2: It's not only tensions between sovereignty and the benefits of the EU membership. Uh, it's, we've seen nationalism, populism on the rise. We've seen divided societies, but we've also seen genuine concerns. And I think it really comes down to the fact that uh, people want to be in charge. And uh, you can change your national government through elections, but um, European officials are still perceived as someone that um, they do not have uh, sort of uh, uh, direct responsibility towards the citizens. We do have a, a say in choosing them through the European Parliament, but still not a lot of people perceive that. And the recent trends in the European Union have not really um, helped that. Uh, Certain countries have been singled out for um, backtracking in their democratic development for rising populism and nationalism and even ties to Russia and China. But I have been concerned about the trends in the European Union for a number of years before, before the recent crisis. I've seen an erosion of values. I've seen people, especially young generations forgetting why we got together at all. It's not just an economic project, it's a peace project as well and uh, the young people don't remember the times of divisions of walls of barbed wires uh, and uh, even of uh, the war uh, in our part of uh, Europe. So it's difficult for them to explain the value of the European project and many take peace and security and the European unity for granted. Uh, on the other hand, um, I do understand and I do sympathize with those nations who feel that there is are still kind of a second tier nation or second tier, uh, second grade population within the European Union because we'll still see the divisions between East and West, uh, not only in uh, the mental contra- contracts, but really physically. When you see the, um, the development, um, the uh, the living standards, when you see the infrastructure from. Uh, uh, infrastructure on the ground, so from transportation infrastructure, to energy infrastructure, to digitaliz- uh, digitalization, to opportunities that our citizens have, so you still still see those divisions. And you mentioned cohesion funding and the funding that we will receive from the European Union. Uh, unfortunately, when Croatia acceded to the European Union, we were not among the best countries who could implement and use the cohesion funding quickly and efficiently. And it was partly um, due to our own um, unpreparedness, but uh, I also think that the fault is on the European Union who, uh, or the EU institutions who should have seen, okay, Croatia is not really doing that well, let's help them how to use that funding instead of turning it back into uh, the European budget. So I do expect that uh, the funding that Croatia is supposed to receive from uh, COVID-19 situation from the pandemics to help our businesses uh, will be absorbed quickly and efficiently but there are so many underlying structural issues that still have not been resolved. Uh, We have um, uh, differences, not just between Croatia and the European Union, but within Croatia, between different regions, which is compounded by the fact that many of them were affected and ravaged during the war. So we also have these regional differences within Croatia that need to be overcome. And I think we should stop talk about the past and ideological issues and uh, start thinking more of these uh, practical issues. But also the fact of the matter is that you see trends and I think that the recent crisis in the European Union was really worsened by uh, the migration flows back in 2015 and 2016, where we definitely saw lack of uh, solidarity which goes, as I said, both ways or multiple ways, uh, and uh, lack of cohesion within the European Union, lack of uh, um, united policies, etc., and a lot of finger pointing, a lot of blaming instead of trying to search for very practical solutions. And now it's compounded by the so called uh, vaccine nationalism, where the European Union, as uh, you know, probably the Commission, is the one who is in charge of distributing vaccines across the European Union. Where a lot of people are perceiving that the commission is not doing their best uh, as uh, the vaccinations are being delayed and we're getting um, we're not getting as as many vaccines as we had been promised by different companies. So this just might be uh, another issue where we come divisive rather than united. Uh, And the third aspect, which has been sort of a personal disappointment for me, is that lack of cohesion in uh, common uh, uh, foreign and security policy, where I believe that the European Union should be a lot more assertive and a lot more active. I mentioned that the United States played a crucial role in Southeast Europe. Well, um, it took the European Union at the time years to, to sort of get some sort of a common ground. And I would like to see a more active and, and more assertive role in places such as Libya or Syria uh, or even Afghanistan in many hot spots of the world, if we truly want to become a global player that uh, is of global relevance.
0: Well, Kalinda, you, you made the, you mentioned the, the migration crisis. It's just a reminder, I think that you know, problems that originate in the Middle East don't stay there. And, and, uh, and of course, I I think in, in connection with you know, the Syrian civil war, that even really modest efforts to, to, to reduce the level of violence there or contain it uh, would, would have been much less costly than the cost that has been imposed on Europe, for example, associated with a migration crisis. And you know, there are other tensions associated with the migration crisis as well. And you know, Croatia has been right at the center of this, and as you know, Croatia has been hailed as a model of of relationships between Muslim communities and 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 Christian communities, uh, and and uh, and moderate Sunni uh, Croat Muslim values ha- have aligned extremely well with Croatian Catholic and Orthodox Christian values. At the same time, when you look at southeastern Europe, there is a trend uh, toward a spread of salafi jihadist ideology extremist ideology in 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 so, especially in social media but certainly in in certain mosques and madrasas in in the region Do, are you concerned about this what, what, what's your assessment of, of that trend and 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 what is the role of, of the government and 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 in education in stopping the spread of 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 jihadist ideology that can lead to to violence and terrorism
2: well, looking back at uh, migrations, I was uh, very critical of um, the migration waves at the time because, uh, precisely as you mentioned, HR, we invested so much money into 1 million people plus who came to the European Union. And I knew, you know, that the gates would be shut down, that it was just not a solution. It was reallocation, um, relocation of uh, population. So basically, For me, on the one hand, we were assisting in uh, ethnic cleansing, and on the other hand, we were assisting uh, those um, um, shady circles who deal in human trafficking and who were able to help those who had the means or the time or the physical fitness to get to the European Union. And I was very much concerned about those people and and remain concerned about people who remain in Syria and Afghanistan and, and in other countries where the circumstances are such that they're forced to flee. And we have um, tens of millions of people on the run nowadays, not just uh, because of war but and terrorism, but because of economic circumstances, because of climate change and many other circumstances. And in these migratory flows, as I looked at them as uh, um, the fourth president of Croatia, the greatest strain was actually put on the Islamic community in Croatia, which I understand. Line so many times is a true example of what our Mufti uh, Hassanovich says is not just coexistence, it's true, it's true, common existence between all people, not thinking whether we're Catholic or Orthodox or uh, Muslim. Uh, And uh, you've mentioned education, it's very important, but uh, what's also very important is that um, government does take an interest in what goes in any of the re- religious communities. I'm a person of faith myself, uh, and um, I go to church, but I would never want for um, the religion to influence public life or lawmaking or the life of the country. The same goes for Catholicism or political Islam or any other religion. But I do believe that every state and the authorities of the state have to take an interest in what's going on among the communities. And that the stability of those communities is of utmost importance. And I believe that uh, the reason for Croatia's success in this uh, true common existence is the Islamic community themselves. Uh, Croatia was the second country in uh, Europe after Austria to recognize Islam as one of its official religions more than 100 years ago. We actually celebrated uh, the centennial uh, during my presidency and um, this continuous dialogue uh, was very important to me not only when i was president but also when i was at nato and I was in charge of public diplomacy. I would often consult uh, the Croatian Mufti Hassanovic about many issues that we were facing in Afghanistan. With the, uh, We did a NATO channel story on him and on how Croatian troops at the time were being educated in these cultural differences and customs and how they were exemplary in terms of being really embraced by the Afghan communities as somebody who tried to help them in achieving peace and stability, rather than an occupying force. So the stability of the community uh, is also testified by the fact, HR, that from Croatia, in contrast to other neighbors, uh, to not just to our Southeast, but to our uh, North and Northwest, uh, we had very few people, you can really count them on your fingers, uh, who joined ISIL at the time. And actually a couple of them were persons who were converted from Catholicism to uh, Islam and who were uh, radicalized uh, online and then were taking in places in Southeast Asia when I, unfortunately there are safe havens for radicals and where people are uh, taught um, the the radical aspects of uh, ideology and where where they taught to fight for uh, those causes. So um, supporting the community uh, in in that is very important. And uh, Croatia can truly be an example anywhere in Europe or anywhere in the world because there is no xenophobia. During Even during the migration waves of 2015 and 16, the Croatian citizens were very forthcoming and very open to those migrants, realizing that they don't want to stay in Croatia, but trying to help them in, in any way that they could and perceiving them first and foremost as human beings and, and not as someone uh, of different faith. Perhaps uh, that is sort of um, made a little bit easier um, because we ourselves uh, still remember the times of war and the times when uh Displaced persons from Croatia and refugees from Bosnia and Herzegovina were taken care of by Croatia and the Croatian citizens, but also neighboring and other countries. But um, the the coexistence or uh, that true existence between any religion has to be taken for granted and needs to be um, transparent. Uh, there, um, there is. Um, uh, Evidently an interest on part of many countries on what happens, not just in Croatia and Bosnia and Herzegovina, but in a lot of Southeast Europe. Uh, And uh, I always argue for open and transparent relationship with those countries. And that is one of the reasons why I um, uh, had frequent communications with President Erdogan, why I went uh, uh, to Iran for an official visit, for instance, why I went to Kuwait and Qatar, um, never had a chance to go to Saudi Arabia. But I believe that inclusion and dialogue and being part of the process always gives you more of a chance of trying to manage the process and isolating and and let things happen on their own. And personally, I always promote this, um, the understanding and uh, I'm very happy to celebrate Muslim, Jewish, Orthodox or any other holidays with my friends, as I said, again, as a person of faith first and foremost, but also as someone who is definitely a public personality in Croatia. And uh, I will continue to work towards further um, intercultural and interreligious understanding without prejudice towards anyone. And uh, everyone who wants to work for the benefit of this cause is more than welcome.
0: Well, that that's a very positive and important message. And I tend to think of it as a, as a cycle, a uh, cycle of ignorance. Ignorance is used to foment hatred. And then that hatred is used to justify violence against innocence. And you've been such a strong voice in, in breaking that cycle, not only in Croatia, but, but beyond Croatia. Because there's so much I want to talk with you about. So we may have to do this again if you can make the time. But I want to ask you one, one final question, because I remember when we first met in 2017, you, 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 were, you had a very strong vision for, for about the intersection of security and energy security, and economic growth, and and development. And I remember we had it. You know, we had I a, a, a think about a thirty-minute re- meeting with uh, President Trump, and you were you were very direct with him. And you said, "Okay, here are the three things that this meeting is about, and here's what the United States needs to do to work more effectively, not only with C- Croatia, but but with Southeastern Europe and and Europe more broadly, in the context of the of the three C's and initiatives." So, I wonder if you might share your thoughts about the intersection of security and economic growth and development, and maybe in, in two particular areas. One of these is energy security and ensuring that Europe, Europe is not subjected to the coercive economic power of, of, of Russia, particularly in, in connection with dependence on Russia for, for gas in particular and, and the initiatives that you have underway and how the United States might be able to to cooperate with Croatia and with other Southeastern European countries to ensure uh, that energy can't be used for coercive purposes. And the second aspect I think of, of security and, and economic development interconnecting is in the area of Chinese investment, right? Chinese investment, which can do some good in the region. But of course, you know, that comes with, that <laughs> comes with some expectations uh, on the part of the, of the Chinese communist party. And we've seen this with really uh, China gaining a large <laughs> degree of influence in the port of Piraeus, for example, Uh, A great deal of influence in Hungary, uh, for example, and in Serbia to to a large extent. So your thoughts on the intersection of, uh, of security, energy security and economic development and investment.
2: Absolutely, HR. I mean, energy security really defines political stability and security of countries. And we've seen many examples where governments fail for security purposes. And I have also been uh, very outspoken, not just to President uh, Trump and uh, President Obama before him and Vice President Biden at the time, but also to President Putin and and others and uh, President Xi. Uh, and, um, you know, I believe that honesty is always the best way forward. And when I started the Three Seas Initiative uh, with the president of Poland, Duda, and um, it was at the time during the Obama administration and it continued, continued during the Trump administration, I, I argued for very simple facts. First, it was an initiative that was very logical and that was very pragmatic for us, for the 12 member countries of the European Union, members of the initiative. It was uh, interpreted in all sorts of ways as being anti Russian or pro American or an American Trojan horse in Europe, the European Union, and did take me a lot of energy actually to explain the value of the initiative, uh, which is three pillars that are crucial for the stability of Central Europe. I prefer to call it Central rather than Eastern Europe as the backbone of European resilience and security and that is transportation infrastructure that I've already mentioned, energy infrastructure and digitalization that we now see with the development of the 5G technologies and with the post-COVID or still the the COVID pandemic world where digitalization is becoming increasingly important. And uh, the value or the role of the initiative is to achieve true convergence and really wipe out those differences between the European East and West and contribute to European cohesion after all. I think in the process we have achieved um, the goal and the United States is now our partner as well as Germany. There are other countries who want to join the initiative and work within the initiative. And I I think we need to continue. So when you look at the role of Russia or China, of course, um, in in specific terms of investment, it's always, uh, you've mentioned uh, Athens, Paris and uh, Greece. But when it comes to Chinese investment in Europe, it's actually Northern Europe that's been getting most of the investment, about 30% of Chinese investment. Uh, in the past years. And I think that the destination number one for Chinese investment in Europe is now Finland. Uh, then the second one is UK. And the third one is, I believe, Sweden. Croatia gets only about 4 point, uh, 0.4% of the investment. And uh, uh, usually the uh, Peješac Bridge, which connects connects uh, the Peješac, uh, peninsula to the mainland is mentioned as a chinese project uh in, in croatia it's actually a european project that is financed by the european union and croatia and the chinese are only carrying out that project Uh, um, uh, within the scope of the European legislation, especially on public tender, public bids. And the bridge will stay there, the Chinese uh, Chinese companies will go away and there there will be no lasting circumstances in, in terms of Chinese influence. But a valid question I think that is posed is the resilience of European societies or in particular central European societies towards Chinese or any other foreign influence. And in contrast to the United States, uh, states which unfortunately has neglected our part of the world for um, as, uh, for. Uh, the past uh, years or decades, the Chinese have been very active and they've institutionalized their cooperation through the so-called China plus 17 initiative, which is an extension of the one road, uh, one belt uh, initiative that is aimed into building infrastructure and links between our countries and China. And there is a lesson to be learned here, HR, Because um, uh, one of the things that I specifically pointed uh, out to not just the uh, former president, but everybody in the United States, is the issue of strategic investment. If you want to really prevent others from political interference in a certain area, then you have to be involved yourself. And although Croatia, really the bulk of our investment and trade comes from the West, from the European, Union and the U.S., I really can't remember the last uh, big investment from the United States into Croatia, and that's why during our Warsaw meeting argued so much for the avoidance of double taxation treaty, and alongside Albania, Croatia is uh, the only NATO member state that does not have that treaty with the United States, Uh, and um, that treaty would really remove uh, the, the obstacles that we all feel. Uh, not just doing business between Croatia and uh, the United States but really true investment into Croatia and uh, the president at the time committed and he repeated it several times and we did start negotiations but the process has been dragging on and um, the excuse has always been that there is not administrative capacity within the United States to um, negotiate an agreement with Croatia, which is a country of 4 million people that can be based uh, on something that was negotiated, for instance, with Slovenia. So this this dragging uh, your feet, unfortunately, is not very helpful. And I think you should be a lot more involved and I, I would love to see President Biden a lot more involved. Last time uh, the Croatian um, prime minister at a time was at the White House with the president was in 2006. And I would love to see my current president or um, prime minister visit with President Biden at the White House uh, as soon as possible. Um, we're and may, one and of may, the,
0: maybe, and maybe to sign we, the the double tra- taxation treaty. How about that? I I
2: hope so because <laughs> you know the, the the feeling that we are all getting. You know, you the United States communicates with because if you're not a big country, or if you're not a problem country, or if you're not bringing big money to the table, you don't have an entrance to the White House. But what is the price of friendship? What is the price of alliance? So we need to maintain that dialogue. It's half an hour that symbolically, along with the visa waiver treaty, which I hope will be, or visa waiver program, which I hope Croatia will become part of, is symbolically very important so you know taking care of your friends of your alliances uh, what china is doing it's um their approach is very smart they show you that the really that principle of sovereign equality that they value you that they will talk to you, that they will treat you as equal. And I think that we have been taking this friendship and alliances for granted for way too long. And you're uh, talking to a um, really ardent transatlanticist for for me um there is no alternative to nato and to our transatlantic relationship and i hope that we are entering a new phase where we'll become much closer together um regardless of the strategic autonomy that we're talking for europe to become more resilient and more active on the world scene but there's so much that binds us together and we would really want to see a a lot more u.s presence not just in croatia but in our neighborhood and you're welcome and your friends here so please uh, do feel as such and uh, uh, let's uh, go on working together because together we'll be more resilient we'll be smarter and we'll be a lot more successful
0: well, Clinda, thanks. You're a very strong voice for the relationship. And especially at a time when in Europe, we hear people talking about strategic autonomy and sort of playing the US off against China. Instead of maybe just asking the, the question, do you really expect the Chinese Communist Party to treat our citizens better than they treat their own people? So I think I think the, I think think we're moving in, in the right direction in terms of the relationship. And and as we become closer, we should send an occasional thank you note to Xi Jinping. <laughs> because I think the party's, aggression, uh, you know, since the, the COVID-19 crisis is a, is a big motivator, I think, to resolve some of the issues rose and for us to come closer together. So I can't thank you enough. What a great discussion. I'm going to ask you one final question, which I, I hope will be probably the easiest question of all of them. You know, next year, of course, Gutter will be hosting the 2022 FIFA World Cup. And I wondered if you have any predictions about who's going to win.
2: Well, you know, uh, right now RTs unfortunately, I'm not doing that well uh, in uh, either soccer, football or other sports, but uh, I'm very confident, confident. I think it's probably due to the pandemic and the special circumstances that I that we found ourselves in. But uh, definitely I will be in Qatar. And I we will be cheering for the Croatian team. Um, the championships in Russia did wonders for Croatia standing in the world. We were considered to be a small country with a big heart, which we are. And uh, we hope to play an influence that goes well beyond our geographic um, area or the number of people. Uh, but I'm always optimistic and uh, that's how I'll be traveling to Qatar, believing that we will win.
1: Well,
0: President Robert Kitarovic, I, what an honor it has been to, to see you again and a privilege to have you on Battlegrounds. You're a great inspiration as a leader, I think to also to aspiring women leaders as the first president of Croatia. And, and so on behalf of the, of the Hoover Institution, thank you for helping us learn more about Battlegrounds important to building a future of peace and prosperity for generations to come. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Thank you, HR. It was my pleasure and an honor.
1: Battlegrounds is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society. For more information about our work, to hear more of our podcasts, or view our video content, please visit hoover.org.